You are listening to the APSI Podcast, the association of people supporting employment first, with your host, Chris Davies. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Minnesota APSI Video Podcast and Audio Podcast. We're so excited today uh, to be with you for Season 2, Episode 1. I think this is our ninth uh, episode, our ninth podcast in uh, its entirety, and we're so excited uh, to kick off season two with a wonderful guest. Her name is Katrina Simons. Say hi, Katrina. Hi. All right, and uh, we're so excited to have Katrina here. She and I haven't seen each other in a few years. We've been a part of a couple different, uh, you know, advocacy efforts over over the period of time, and it's, it's nice to make your acquaintance again and, and get to know yeah. you again. Uh, today and uh, you're going to get a chance to get to know Katrina here in just a minute. Uh, a few housekeeping items. Uh, again, this is a video podcast. It will be you'll be watching it on YouTube and various other places. We're also now going into uh, audio as well, and you'll be able to get it on Spotify and wherever you stream your podcast. So, however you're listening today, uh, we're very glad that you're with us today. This was recorded on March 25th, 2022. And before we get going, I always like to remind people a little bit more about, you know, Minnesota APSI and their, their purpose. They're a very action-oriented organization. And I like to, to actually read our purpose statement uh, for, for Katrina and for everybody out there listening. So Minnesota APSI is an action-oriented organization. And we exist to bring people together to raise expectations so that people with disabilities can be employed, contribute, and assume their roles and responsibilities as citizens in their communities. Employment is the same wages, standards, responsibilities, expectations, and opportunities available to any working age adult. One person at a time, employment is the avenue out of poverty and isolation. And I know our, our guest here today definitely agrees with that, that purpose statement. By the yeah. way, I don't think I introduced myself. I'm Chris Davies, and I'm the host of the Minnesota APSI podcast. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's, uh, let's meet Katrina Simon. So Katrina currently is working as a community program specialist at the University of Minnesota Institute of Community Integration. And Katrina is very passionate about improving the quality of life for individuals living with dis developmental disabilities and their families, allies, and communities. Uh, so great to have you here today, Katrina. Um, in your own words, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your background. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to be here because um, like you said, we've worked together a little bit in the past, not a ton, but a little bit. and. Um, well, I've been hearing about Composure for years. So when when um, um, when I heard about this podcast, I was really excited. Um, so thanks for having me. Um, and then um, my employment story is a little bit um, windy. So I always love to start with that because it's a little bit longer than some people might expect. Um, but I'm I'm really happy to have it. Um, so when I was um, 15, I my first job was at a, as a camp counselor at Camp Courage in um, 
Annandale, Minnesota. It's not called Camp Courage anymore. It's called Camp True Friends, but at the time it was Camp Courage. And I was just uh, a junior counselor there, um, but I really liked it. And I uh, got to meet all different kinds of people and um, some people live with disabilities, all different types of disabilities. Um, and I think from there, I really, I just decided that I wanted to work with people with disabilities um, as a career. And um, so I kind of had that in mind. I guess my my very first um, career aspiration would have been to be some type of provider in a medical setting. But as um, as I uh, started to do internships and things, I got really interested in policy and things on that end. So I interned at Gillette and Courage Center when I was in college. And then um, right after college, I worked for a, a little while for the University of Minnesota Medical School as a um, as like a, a, a research program assistant. Um, and um, we worked on a study that looked at quality of life for people with disabilities um, ages 11 to 21. I think it was. And then uh, I focused a little bit more on epilepsy after that. And then I went and kept doing some work at the University of Minnesota, but also went to work for the um, Minnesota Olmstead Implementation Office as a survey interviewer, where I went into lots of different um, settings, um, typically that housed people with disabilities and asked them a bunch of questions about if they were getting um, their, their needs met and they were living um, a life that ensured the quality of life that they deserve now by law under Olmstead. And then I um, came to ICI in 2017 and that is where I am now. So that's, that's kind of my whole, there's some little jobs in between there that I've done. Well, uh, I can certainly re relate to what you said, a windy road. My path has certainly not been, been linear by any means, you know, either. But that's a really big deal, uh, being part of the, uh, the you know, survey interviewing for Olmstead. Uh, and it's such a, it's such a landmark, um, you know, decision that took a lot of time to really start to get, uh, uh, get activated. But uh, that's really cool that you were a part of that. How did well, you, and I would go ahead. No, go ahead. I would argue that we're still kind of getting acclimated, and it's still yeah. taking a lot of time. Um, so it's an evolving I, process. No, I totally, totally agree. Uh, we've come. I don't know if you could even say a far way, but we've certainly made progress. But uh, as we know, there's so, so much further to go, and that's why we keep, um, you know, keep pushing. Push until it's understood, uh, as they as Bruce likes to say. And uh, so glad that you're here. So, how did you get involved with ICI, and, and what are you doing for them specifically? So they were actually looking for somebody that was living um, with an intellectual disability to come and join their staff and work um, specifically with their self advocacy advisory committee. Um, and I came and interviewed for that position, um, but didn't think I would get it because I do not identify as living specifically with an intellectual disability. Um, and I, I didn't get it, but they were able to call me back and hire me for a different position that I, I don't think existed before I was there. 
So that is, so I interviewed for one job, but I ended up getting another job, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally, it definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. And, you know, I also know that you're here today. You want to talk about some of the recent history um, for employment or in employment for people with disabilities and some of the barriers that, that folks are facing uh, sometimes uh, these days and also in our, in our history. So I'd uh, love for you to share with our, our listeners uh, some of your thoughts about, about the barriers people are facing. Um, so that's a great question, thank you. So I think that a lot of um, people think that since um, people with, with, well, people without disabilities are aware that people with disabilities are like can work now, like there are jobs that we can do and um, ADA and things like that. They think that everybody with a disability can work, but there's actually still a number of very complex barriers. Um, so there's financial barriers, which is if you um, make, if you currently, if you make too much money right now, you could lose your benefits in many states. And it's very complicated to determine which rules um, your state has and whether whether or not you still qualify and how to keep those services that you are using to stay alive and work. Um, and then there's also transportation barriers and direct support barriers. So there's, it see like a lot of people think that um, since some people with disabilities do work, that all people with disabilities have the same have the same ability to work and to and to access that, but it's it's not actually the case. So I just like people to be aware of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I think you have a, a term. Uh, I'm not sure if you coined this term, but a term, a uh, disease of low expectations. Tell tell us. Oh, about I did that. not coin it. I'm not sure who did. Okay. <laughs> I would get. I think I would get in trouble at my job if I used the word disease. Yeah. Yeah. So I did not coin that term, please. Right, please right. No, no, no. And certainly when we're talking about the disease, we're talking about the disease of low expectations that people have for, for people with uh, uh, working uh, out in the community. So maybe yeah. just tell us your thoughts about uh, how we can combat some of those, um, you know, the, if you will, the phenomenon of uh, low expectations that still exists today. Um, okay, so I think there's there's a number of different ways to look at that. Um, number one, um, so anytime you have a, um, a like a historical change, which we're kind of seeing right now mm -hmm. in the current workforce and people with disabilities, people are going to see it one way when they're looking at it from the outside. And so you kind of have this, everybody with disabilities can work or no one <laughs> with a disability can work because... How could they? And we need to shift it sort of to the middle, sort of, we don't need the pendulum swinging. We need a, a nice middle ground. So many people without disabilities also can't work for various reasons, but many people with disabilities can work, um, I feel like is a good way to look at it. And then um, as far as the low expectations go, um, I think the most appropriate way to look at that is just, just hire somebody with a disability and, and I think you'll be surprised. Um, Many of my colleagues that work with me at ICI and on the SAC um, are some of the, the best colleagues that I've ever worked with. And, and many of them don't have a regular paying job right now um, because of the barriers that we just talked about. And I really think that the workforce is missing out. Um, they're always in a good mood, not always in a good mood, of course. They have 
you know, the same fluctuation of um, attitudes and beliefs that we all do, but they're always professional. They're always on time. They do a great job with what we ask of them. Um, yeah, I'm proud to call them my colleagues and my guess is anybody else would be as well. That's, that's great. Well, yeah, I think I uh, really like the way you laid that, laid that out for us. And, uh, you know, uh, and you're right. Uh, we're all, we're all human, right? And we're all going to uh, show our, our humanness uh, in, in whichever way, you know, it, it comes up. But the, um, uh, the idea of, of, you know, seeing value in, in hiring someone uh, is a way to really show you what's possible is 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 right on uh, i agree with that yeah. wholeheartedly so uh so clearly you know there's work to be done right there's work that right. has been done and and there's more work to be done and and we're also currently in the middle of of doing work like you and i are right now on this minnesota mm -hmm. apsy podcast trying to to tell stories and you know spread the word uh and and you know, our belief is that every every little piece that we can do just continues to build that momentum and open doors and possibilities, you know, for folks. So um, what, let's talk about value. I mentioned uh, just, you know, hiring someone and seeing the value that a person can bring into your, your business. Let's talk about your thoughts on, on, you know, what you would say are some of the, you've mentioned a couple already, but what are some of the key values you see people with disabilities bringing into, into the workplace? Um, so in my experience, and I can really only talk about my experience, because obviously I haven't worked with every single person that has a disability, but I think we have a, a great uh, work ethic <laughs> because um, many people with disabilities, have had to develop a, a really strong work ethic just to get through life. And I, I feel like that translates into the workforce as well. And then the other thing is, I think we are very good problem solvers because we have to do it from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed oftentimes. And um, we, we can bring that new way of thinking and that different way of thinking into any job that we do. Um, and I, I do agree that some people with disabilities are unable to work. I, I think that that is, um, that should be up to the person with a disability. And I, I believe that just like some people without disabilities can't work, some people with disabilities can't work. But I think that the general people with disabilities won't make good employees is, is selling people with disabilities short. And it's also selling their communities short and the people who would work with them later. Um, so I'm sorry, did I answer the question? Yeah, no, you're, you're right on. Um, and there was uh, something specifically in there I wanted to ask you. You talked about creative solutions. And, you know, I really like what you're saying about uh, some of the, uh, the lived experience creating uh, good problem solving skills. You know, that makes a lot of sense that, uh, that if someone is is solving complex problems in their own life on a daily basis, that, that is a skill and that skill can translate into, you know, lots of different types of jobs, uh, certainly. Um, so uh, do you have any, any thoughts on, I mean, right now, uh, there's certainly a chronic labor shortage and where do you see, 
you know, people with disabilities, that, that sector of uh, the workforce, if you will, being an opportunity to, to solve some of those labor shortages? Well, okay, and I hate to be too, I don't wanna paint everybody with the same brush. You know, just like people without disabilities, people with disabilities can be wonderfully complex and fascinating and interesting. And you really have to work with each individual person and find out what's great for them. But I think, um, so somebody with, um, who, lives um, with autism spectrum disorder, they might be really, really, really great at a, a task that involves a lot of fine motor and a lot of repetition. And they can do that really well because they can tune in and hyper-focus. Whereas somebody um, like me, who's uh, in a chair and sometimes able to get places, I can do really great things over the phone. So we, we can do, a lot of different kinds of the work that you're looking to get filled and and some of us are just sitting here waiting to be offered jobs now i'm not one of those people right now because i happen to be employed right. but i'm sure there there are others out there who who are looking for that and we have great skill sets and and oftentimes we're we're underemployed and we're not able to show people that we have great skill sets and i i think that's a real shame yeah i I really like what you're saying about not wanting to paint anyone with a, a broad, broad brush. Uh, you know, Minnesota APSI, uh, that's one of the reasons Minnesota APSI is very, um, very uh, supportive of customized employment uh, yeah. is the best way to, to help someone who, who wants to be employed. And we believe everybody that wants to work can work. And, that, and that's, uh, that's a real key is that desire to work and anyone regardless of disability, uh, complexity of their life, if they have the desire to work, uh, you know, we believe they can work and there's a, yeah. a place for them. But the, uh, that customized approach really says that, that, that everybody is unique, whether you have, uh, you know, or somebody that identifies with a disability or not, everybody's unique, no one's the same and uh, just because something is true about one person doesn't mean that's true about uh, every every well, other person, you know. So. And I certainly wouldn't want to insinuate, you know, for instance, that everybody who uses a wheelchair is good at talking on the phone. But I have a, a very specific skill set that makes me an excellent um, mm -hmm. telephone person. And I certainly wouldn't want to insinuate that everybody with autism is a bit able to do fine motor tasks. Not everyone is, right. but those are some. I have I have known people with both of those skill sets mm -hmm. that have disabilities, and I think I think we're getting overlooked. Yeah, yeah, no, here, here, absolutely. Um, well, you know, I know that you uh, you're a very positive person, and you you have you know, high hopes, you know, for the future. So tell us about uh, your hopes uh, for the future of uh, disability employment. So there are two things that I'm really hopeful about in the future that I think are gonna make it much easier for more people with disabilities to work and maybe more people without disabilities as well. Um, one is the direct support crisis getting um, mitigated a little bit by some legislation that will hopefully pass. Um, but the other more specific piece of legislation that is more specific to employment is called the SSI Restoration Act. 
And what that's going to do more specifically is it's going to um, bring up the monthly benefit that people get every month to be um, in line with the poverty line, because right now it's less than the poverty line. So it's going to be a 31% increase. So that's really exciting. Um, another thing it's going to do is it's going to allow people to work more on top of their getting their benefit. Right now, if you make um, more, I forget how much it is. It's a it's a really low number. It's like, oh, $63.01. If you make more than $63.01 a month, you have to report that and then that would get taken out of your check. And this will raise it to $394 a month. So if somebody, you know, for whatever reason, any reason, felt they could only work like 15 hours a week, maybe you could do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the third thing it's going to do is it's going to raise the asset level that you can have in your bank account. Right now, if you have more than $2,000 in your bank account, you get an angry letter and they threaten to stop your benefits. Right. Um, and this would raise it to, I think, $10,000 for an individual and $20,000 for a couple. Um, I'm not sure it's going to pass this legislative year. This is a really hard legislative year to get anything passed because of COVID and because, well, you know, for any other, but I'm really, I'm hopeful at the positive reception it's getting in the Senate and the House. Um, and I'm hope, hopeful because we have the Biden administration. I don't think it would have passed under Trump at all. Right. So, you know, there we go. Um, and then I'm really hopeful that some of the um, COVID relief money will help mitigate the direct support crisis. Right. And that could help more people work as well. So if they need like a job coach or, you know, someone to drive them to work, because we just don't have enough bodies mm -hmm. to, to fill those needs. And then if people can't get their basic needs met, like getting up or going to bed, how can they go to work? I mean, we literally have people that can't get out of bed. <laughs> and if you can't get out of bed, you can't go to work. I don't know anybody that can work in bed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, those are all our very, very important things. Do you spend a lot of time down at the at the Capitol yourself? Um, I don't spend as much as I would as much time as I would like there. Um, I should probably spend more time, but I ha I have spent time there, and um, I'm staying away now because of the COVID uh, COVID stuff. But I have yep in my in my life I've spent cumulative time there. Does that yeah does that help? Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Well, you know, I, um, there's a person I'm going to be meeting with who I was told uh, only wants to make uh, or does not want to make more than $200 a month because it will affect their housing. Yeah. So some so of the things you're talking about, the Re Restoration Act, uh, the, uh, if I said that right, um, combat uh, what what he's talking about it sounds like you had you had an answer, so I'll just stop talking and let you talk. Okay, so housing benefits are actually very complicated, so I would need to know his housing benefits specifically to answer the question. Okay, and even beyond that, I would need to know a bunch of other information that you should not share with people outside of your immediate support network unless you're very very confident. So please don't share any more information with me. I but I mean, I think that's I think that's I mean. You're not sharing more information, but I'm just saying if someone is watching this podcast and thinking, right. I should ask her, don't ask me, ask somebody who's more familiar with this gotcha. type of question. But um, I think that's the hope. But um, the cooperation between HUD and people with disabilities is mucky, and I wouldn't want to say something that, that would be incorrect, but I, I definitely right. could see it being the hope. Sure, sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I will... Um... 
I will keep that in mind when I when I talk to this gentleman. Um, and, you know, just in general, speaking about you know resources, obviously uh, the work that you do at the Institute on Community Integration is is providing great resources for folks. Uh, when when you're meeting with somebody and you're trying to steer them towards a, a good place to get resources, what uh, what do you usually what do you usually tell them? That's a great question. I usually my first go to is DB one hundred and one. Um, often my, so I'll, I'll kind of ask them what their situation is. And often if I, if I think a, like a certain provider has, um, done this work before, I'll, I'll, I'll have them contact that person. But DB101 is my, my first, my first go-to for anyone. Um, I gotta say, I'm not formally, I'm not a social worker. I'm not formally trained in any of this. I just kind of learned it by um, by being a, around for a while. And so I always tell people go, you know, go to PACER, go to DB101, go to someone who really has um, training and funding to do that type of work. Cause I don't have that funding or training to do what technical assistance like that, but. And that, and that's uh, for our listeners, that is db101.org. It's uh... Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah, website. No, it's okay. Website you can go to, right? Where, where you can get connected to the experts on benefits. Yep. You can also call. Mm -hmm. um, as a general rule, I say for most people, able accounts are a good idea. Um, so definitely look into one, but definitely call DB101 before you start one because there are some people who they do not benefit. Um, yeah, so I like people to know about ABLE accounts, and then I like people to know that the limit is $2,000 in your bank account, Right. and most people can put the excess in their ABLE account if they can, but again, call DB101 or maybe a specialized lawyer. PACER has a bunch of um, lawyers that specialize in this. Okay. Um, the other thing I get asked about a lot is guardianship. I don't know anything about guardianship. <laughs> um, I mean, I know what it is. Yes. <laughs> so yes. I would but I would send you to PACER to, to sure. get your guardianship figured out. Um, ICI is a big fan of supported decision-making, which is a different mm -hmm. legal alternative to guardianship. I certainly um, prefer that for most people that I know, but again, I don't, I don't like to comment on individual situations. Sure. Um, but yeah, definitely look into your options. Call PACER, call DB101. Um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else that I have people go. Um, so if you're able to read a bunch of technical jargon, all of DHS's um, information um, about um, waivers and things is available online. So that's exciting. It's very hard to understand and complex. So that is tricky. Um, yeah, pretty much. I found the uh, Disability Hub as well as a good resource for uh, professionals and families. And yeah, excellent. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, really my go-to because you can call or go on the internet. Um, I I would say that at some points the rules are changing so fast that I would also sure. check with, unfortunately, the Social Security Administration, and that is not a fun process, but it is necessary. What What about uh, work programs or work? Um, I should say, uh, you, you, I guess you could say work programs or just employment in general uh, for transition age students. What, what do you, what kind of work do you think we really need to be focusing on there? 
Well, okay, so I don't, I haven't worked with transition in a while. It's been six or seven years. Um, but typically what I would let people know that they maybe didn't know before is that voc rehab should really be coming to those IEPs starting in like ninth or 10th grade, not just your senior IEP. So if you're a parent, I would be asking your child's case manager about that. And really, um, I would have the same advice for what type of work that they should do as I would for someone who wasn't in transition age. Um, find out what you're interested in, try a bunch of different things. Um, see if there's someone in the community that's that's willing to sort of give you an internship and take a chance on you. Um, get connected with the school, see what they have to offer. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, because wow. typically, at least when I was in high school, and this is not the faults of the high school or anything, they maybe had like three or four different kinds of work that the students, that they had already found and the students could try. Um, there's there's more kinds of work available for people. And I, I think that that's a great, great way to, to get people out in the communities if they can find a connection on their own. Certainly, I hope the school can, can give you a place to, to work and to try those experiences. Um, but if not, it's fine to go into your community and, and see what you can find on your own. Um, I don't know if it's changed since I was in high school, but that would be my advice from what I was experiencing when I was in high school. Yeah, I think those are all um, really good pieces of advice. And it's also just sort of a natural uh, way to go about it. I mean, most uh, teenagers, kids growing up, they start you know, trying out uh, different things, you know, sweeping and mowing lawns and raking for their neighbors or, you know, helping with, uh, you know, family business uh, of their friends or lots of different, lots of different ways they get experience to work, you know, when they're, when they're growing up. And uh, why should that be any different for, for someone who, you know, lives with a disability? So. Yeah, I guess my one piece of advice for people with disabilities that does differ is if you're a parent or a caregiver or a grown-up involved with that child of any kind, start helping them identify their strengths. Um, I can't tell you how many adults I know with disabilities who would be excellent in the workforce, but when you start talking to them, they start giving like an HR list of all the things that the accommodations that they need, and that's great. That's a really important skill set. But it's also important to focus on the things that we can do and to put our best foot forward. And I think sometimes when kids have disabilities, we forget that. Sure. Uh, that's because <laughs> we really, want to protect them, not because we don't want what's best for them. That's really well said. And, and that's also an important tenet of customized employment methodology is that it's really a strength-based uh, methodology and, and strength-based uh, way of looking at employment. Uh, because we all have things we're not good at. There's a million jobs that I would not be suited for. But when we focus on our strengths, uh, then we find ourselves in, in places that we're going to find valuable and places that are going to find value in us. Yeah, and I think to be to be perfectly fair, I think especially these days i don't i haven't met very many people in the disability community and i've been working in the disability community living in the disability community for as an adult now which is different than when you live in it as a child for at least 15 years and i haven't met that many people who really would prefer to focus on the 
on the deficits. It's just something we naturally tend to do. And it's like one of those things, you know, you, you got to watch out for your health and you got to watch out that you, that you put your best foot forward. So, I mean, we could start really young. You could start at six and, you know, you're really good at, at, uh, talking if you're not good at riding a bike, cause I'm not very good at riding a bike. Um, but I mean, we can start real young and we can kind of develop that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've always had this saying that expectation starts at birth, you know, when a, right. when a child is born, you expect them to, to do, to do great things. Period. Right. So, right. yeah, that's, that's great. Okay. I'm just taking a quick look at my notes here. Make sure I covered, uh, you know, everything there, there is one other little bullet that I wanted to ask you about, and that's uh, the idea of not just working, but establishing careers. Tell me about your thoughts on that. Oh, I had a really exciting anecdote that I was going to close with about that. So I'm glad you brought it up right before we close. But um, I think um, so. One of the things that I remind myself of when I um, get bummed out about different things in the in the disability um, services arena, which unfortunately happens often, <laughs> and some days happens more often than other days, is that if I had been born even, you know, half a generation before I was, I wouldn't have the possibility of having a career. And now I have kind of developed a career. You know, I started up as the camp counselor, and now I work as the community program specialist. So, and I have had a number of different jobs within the same arena that have let me do different things and have have changed how I think about things and have made me a better advocate and a better person. And if I were even, you know, seven years older, I might not have had that. So we really have come a long way in such a short amount of time. And if we continue to do work like this and continue to pass that value forward, there's no reason that anybody with a disability shouldn't have that expectation of a career if they want it. Well, I could not have said that uh, any better, better than you did. I think that's a great, uh, great way, way to end. I, I can tell you, I am, I am really impressed with the work that you're doing, uh, Katrina. And, you know, I wish you well on, as you, as you continue to, to evolve uh, and and go through your nonlinear uh, career development, as they as I like to say, you know, I, I I'm I'm still on the path myself. Well, thanks so much for having me today. I really appreciate you asking me. Absolutely, it was really good to see you again. And uh, if if any of our listeners had a specific question for you, you know, where could they find you? So you can find me on the ICI website. Otherwise, people tend to tend to see me around Minnesota. I mean, not not outstate as much because I don't travel that well. But um, people people tend to to see me around the Twin Cities a lot. Um, yeah, just reach out. Um, again, remember I'm not licensed or qualified to do anything. Yeah. Um, so uh, make sure you also reach out to those people who are trained to do that work. Um, but I'm happy to talk with anybody. No, I, I can really appreciate that. You know, I think I, I noticed that you have a, a background in psychology and social work. And uh, that was also my, uh, what I studied in school as well. But I like to say I'm not a licensed uh, practitioner either, but uh, I know just enough to, to be dangerous. As, as they right. Say. No NPI number here. 
No, <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, thanks so much again. Uh, you really have kicked our our Minnesota FC podcast off to a great start this year. And I just want to remind all of our listeners out there that if you can, uh, if you believe it, you can achieve it.